It is good to be in the presence of God. We've been going over a theme of looking at the disciples, mostly focused on looking at how much the disciples would have just fit in right with us, sitting down in our church, worshiping with us, because they were regular, normal people. And if you recall, we've looked at the good ones, John, Matthew, Peter, and Pastor Wald apparently knew that he was, after that it gets a little bit rough. And so he went out of town and told me to preach on one of the disciples that gets very little treatment in the Bible. But we will explore the disciple Philip today. We will explore that we are what Philip has to teach us. We will see how from the four instances where Philip is mentioned, how his life can apply to us and what we can learn in our spiritual walk. So we are looking at Philip. And like I said, there's four stories of Philip where he appears... Where he appears, I'm trying to figure out where my slides are. That's the confusion. Where he appears in in one gospel. The disciple Philip only appears to us, is only talked about in any relevance in the gospel of John. He's mentioned in all the other gospels where he is listed as a disciple, but that's all the treatment he gets. The only interaction that he has is in John. One of the things that the disciples that's mentioned about in John is that he is from Bethsaida. And this is important to understand as we look in a little bit because there's two instances where his reference to where he's from plays a part in the story. It's the same city as Andrew and Peter that he is from there in Bethsaida. He is one of two disciples that has his name as a Greek name. That plays a role in his interactions. And Pastor Walt has done an amazing job of presenting to us the names of these disciples, the meaning behind them, the depth of meaning. Philip is a little bit different. Other than Thomas last week, or whatever week it was, we talked about Thomas being just called twin, not really being named, just kind of, oh, there's a second one. Philip has an unusual name. It means lover of horses. That's all I could find. So as I was imagining Philip this week, I was trying to envision him, you know, in chaps and a cowboy hat you know, out there roaming the range. I don't know if they, you don't hear about cowboys. You hear about shepherds all the time, but you don't hear about cowboys in the Bible times. But I try to, so that's kind of how I envisioned him. And then I saw somebody else had a different approach. Maybe Philip was a chariot driver. All right. So maybe, maybe he was, you know, not the, he was more kind of the sports car guy rather than the truck guy kind of a thing. So I've been trying to just grasp what that would mean. 
It's also possible he comes from an area, Bethsaida, that was in a region where when he was born, the ruler of that region would have been also named Philip. And so it could, he could have been named after the ruler of his area. I don't know. I couldn't figure anything out. But it's just interesting to know what a practical name. You just already I'm kind of identified with Philip. He loved horses. Growing up, I loved horses. Not so much anymore. I don't know why that is. But growing up, I would, in fourth grade, I remember drawing horses all the time. You know, after in fifth grade, it turned into jet planes and warships. But in fourth grade, it was horses. And I would draw, and I still remember a picture I drew that I thought was epic. It was like the perfect picture of a horse. So I can identify a little bit with Philip. Um, I worked at summer camp, and I helped with horses. I actually, my first year at summer camp, gave up my days off to go work with horses. It could have been maybe a girl that also worked with the horses, but, you know. So I understand Philip. I can identify. Philip loved horses, and that just brings it home for me. Like I said, there's four times in the Gospel of John where Philip is mentioned interacting with Jesus. And we want to look at those four stories today and see what we can learn what there is to know from the life of Philip that can give us insight into how we can live as disciples. If you want to follow along in a Bible, there may be one in front of you. Open your device. Um, Go to John, the book, the Gospel of John. We'll begin in chapter 1 with Philip's call. If you, if you know the story of Jesus, you know that his cousin, John the Baptist, was preaching, was out in the desert preaching. Jesus came along and was baptized. In the Gospel of John, Jesus never goes out to the wilderness like he does in Matthew. It's just John is there preaching. Some of John's disciples are there. Jesus walks by and they start to follow Jesus. It's then in verse 43, after two disciples have been called in John, that Philip has his first mention. John chapter 1, verse 43, the Bible says, The following day, Jesus wanted to go to Galilee. And he found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Did you catch the important words that stand out in that? Who was looking for who? Jesus, the Bible says, Jesus found Philip. That means Jesus was looking for Philip. Philip, the first disciple that Jesus called directly. John and Andrew were brought along. They just started following Jesus. But Jesus sought out Philip and said, I have found you, follow me. To find something, that means Jesus was looking for Philip. This week, I spent some time looking for something. Um, I spent some time 
Well, I spent some time waiting for something because I was expecting a package to arrive. If I had been looking for it, I might have found it, but that comes later. I ordered some shirts. I was like, I need some new shirts. And so I ordered some shirts online, and I expected them to arrive this week. I was busy working on a bunch of different things, so I didn't really pay attention. I didn't go online and follow the track, you know, track where the package was. But Thursday, I started to wonder why the package hadn't arrived on my doorstep. So I got online, I looked, and it said, yes, it's been delivered. Hooray, on Tuesday. And I was like, but I haven't seen the package. So I decided that the package had been stolen right off my front porch. And I was sad because I was looking forward to some new, you know, some new, some new threads. I wanted some new stuff. So to fix the situation, I called up customer service. I got a hold of somebody finally, and they told me, yes, our records indicate that it's been delivered. And I was like, yes, I know that. Where is it, and what can you do for me? I didn't even really have to ask that, though, because she was so very nice. She began to work out the situation even more than I asked. I was expecting I had just eaten the cost of this. I just was trying to get somebody who maybe had got my clothes and was going to try to exchange them for something that they wanted and see if I couldn't stop it that way or something. I was trying to be real, you know, detective about it, but she was like, no, we'll send out some new stuff to you right away. Well, she comes back and says, well, it can't be right away because of some stuff. But call me on Monday. And so I was like, okay, we've got to find this thing. But as she was talking, she mentioned one thing. She's like, yes, it's been delivered in or around the mailbox. Our mailbox isn't right in front of the house. And for 12 years of my married life, Anna has taken care of the mail, so I don't even think about the mailbox. And so we talked about it, and I was like, well, have you checked the mail? She's like, oh, I don't know. The other thing going on this week was our car broke down, so we had one car, and so our, our, our routine was off. Our routine was different, so she wasn't doing the things that she normally does, you know, just by habit. And so we were like, well, maybe we haven't checked the mailbox. So we go to the mailbox, and sure enough, there are my shirts. I was not finding them because I was not looking for them. I was waiting for them to come to me. Jesus was not going to wait for Philip to come to him. So he went looking for Philip and said, I have found you. Friends, Jesus is looking for us this morning. Jesus wants, like Philip, wants us to follow him. And he is looking for each of us this morning. But the story continues on. Philip doesn't just sit around the moment he's called. He is called by God and then he goes out after somebody. He goes looking for a friend of his, Nathaniel. He finds him and says, Nathaniel, we have found Jesus. And Nathaniel responds with a classic cynical line, can anything good come out of Nazareth? I'm sure you guys have it around here, that, that rival place in your life where you're like, there is nothing good that can come out of wherever that place might be, like Arkansas. 
except for my wife came out of Arkansas, so something good came out of Arkansas. You know, if, if you're growing up in Kansas, we didn't like Nebraskans. Nothing good can come out of Nebraska. You know, around here, we think nothing good can come out of some town. Like, ugh, nothing good there. And so critical, built on a, a distaste because of a relationship with the city, Nathaniel already is critical, saying this can't be the one because nothing ever cool has happened in this town. It's interesting to note this theme of doubting, of being critical, plays a big role in the Gospel of John. Like we talked last week, the Gospel ends with the well-known and mislabeled doubting Thomas. But here's the cool thing about Philip. It is so important to notice Philip's response to his critic. Philip's response to the one who is saying it can't be the right one because he's coming from the wrong place. Philip looks at Nathaniel and simply says to him, Come and see. Just letting you know, I've got slides on the confidence monitor working. Philip says, Come and see. And see. There's more to this invitation to come and see. It's not just like, come and look at this crazy man who came out of Nazareth. You know, it's more, the, the, the Bible is telling more about this. It's saying, seeing involved here is more about knowing. It's more about being insightful, having an insightful relationship or grasping a revelation that the person wants to give. That's what true seeing means. Come and see. I was probably about 10 years old, and it was one of those perfect summer nights. The grass was green and full and just luscious, and I was outside late in the evening after it cooled down, running around barefoot, just having a good time. As I was running around, I saw a stick laying on the ground. And I'm running, and I'm like, oh, I don't want to step on that stick, but I wasn't really paying much attention to it. As I kind of slowed down and just moved my foot to step over the stick, I actually stepped on the stick. I had seen the stick. I had tried to avoid it and tried to move on, but I had not seen the stick because the moment I stepped on it, and had an insightful relationship with it, with the stick, had some, the stick revealed itself to me, I realized that no, in fact, this was a five-foot snake. <clears throat> seeing the stick and seeing the snake were two different things. Um, I probably let out a girlish scream of some sort because a neighbor came out of the house. It turned out, and remember, I was like 10, so I was maybe half my size, and it was probably only three feet long, but it felt like, you know, a six-foot snake compared to my size. Um, it was big, it was black, and it was alive <clears throat> and squishy. It was not what I was expecting. I saw it, 
But it wasn't until I saw it that I understood what it was. Philip invites his critic, I'm not going to argue with you. I'm not going to do anything to try and convince you. I want to show you. I want to show you Jesus. I think that is an amazing thought to have. When we look at Philip and say, he went out and instantly won somebody for Jesus. He brought Nathaniel to him. He got Nathaniel to come to Jesus. He, I wish I could do that. Philip's invitation was simple. Come and see. Come and see what I've seen, what I've experienced, what I know, what's been revealed to me. Come and see. Backing up a few verses. All right, let's see if I got control of this. I don't seem to have control. All right, did you do that or did I? Okay. All right, there we go. What I said, seeing means being insightful, grasping the revelation that is present. For those of you who are more visual learners, get that point. All right. So, now we're back on track. So, Philip has said, come and see. Well, this is not the first time this has been said, because just a few verses before, Jesus has met these two disciples. And in John chapter 1, verse 37, you find the story. It says, the two disciples, meaning most likely John and Andrew, heard Jesus speak. They followed Jesus then Jesus turned to them, and seeing them following, he said, said to them, What do you seek? They said to him, Rabbi, which is to say, when translated, teacher, where are you staying? Jesus said to them, Come and see. Jesus was all about having that relationship with his disciples so that they could come and see, be re- have to them revealed the truth of who Jesus was and therefore the truth of who God was in their life. Come and see. I've often thought if I were a disciple, if I were to have lived in that time, would the visual, tangible revelation of Jesus made it easier to follow? I've often been a little jealous But I don't think that's the case because Jesus has revealed to us through his word who God is and how we can know that. He invites us to come and see. The disciples had no more advantage over us. The disciples had no advantage in knowing God better. And we see that in the next story. The next story of Philip in John is coming up to a Passover week. Jesus and his disciples have crossed the Sea of Galilee to the other side, to some mountains near Bethsaida. However, because of the upcoming celebration and feast, the road around the northern end of the Sea of Galilee would have been filled with travelers journeying down avoiding Samaria, journeying down to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover. 
And Jesus, seeing these people, was moved with compassion. He lifted his eyes. This is found in John chapter 6. Lifting his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this, Jesus said this to test Philip, for he himself knew what he would do. Now, I often try to imagine how Jesus would have said things. Because the cynical side of me says that Jesus just set him up for failure. I mean, come on now. If you know what you're going to do, just do it. I think I've told my wife that several times. If you know what you're going to do, just do it. Don't ask me questions. Please just do it. And here Jesus is setting Philip up for failure. I look and I'm like, why would Jesus do this? But then when I use my imagination and when I take what I know about Jesus, what I understand, I hear this question asked with maybe a chuckle. Maybe that inflection of hope and trying to, trying to just help Philip anticipate what ridiculous miracle is about to happen. Where are we going to buy bread for these people? Oh, man. You know, some inflection that would just have set it up for Philip to say, I don't know, but you are here. But Philip, being caught up in himself, having spent some time with Jesus, still was not seen clearly. Because Philip falls back to what is easy for him. He answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get even a little. His calculator mind has gone off. He knows the shops in Bethsaida. He knows what they charge over in Bethsaida for a loaf of bread. And he's figured it out and said, half a year's wages is not going to even cover getting these people even enough to know they've had a bite to eat. He gets caught up in himself. He gets caught up in the natural world. Philip saw hopelessness when asked, what are we going to do? And this isn't something new to the disciples. They struggle to understand who Jesus is. Just after this story, after Jesus feeds 5,000, we're told they go out on a boat and they get scared that they're going to drown. They've just seen five loaves and two fishes feed 20,000 people, most likely. Why am I worried about a little water coming in my boat when Jesus is in the back? They don't understand it. They're so locked into what they see tangibly, what they think they know. Sometimes I think it gets extremely dark. Like we're going through a tunnel. We get so focused on the thing. Oftentimes it feels like hope is coming because there's a light at the end of the tunnel. And we realize, oh no, that light is a train to bowl us over. We get so caught up in hopelessness, in a fatalism, fatalistic views. We become so desperate 
that we don't see the light standing right in front of us. Philip, who had spent time with Jesus, still did not get it. The one standing before Philip, asking the question with that voice of hope, hoping that he sees the possibility right there before him, is the light of the world. But Philip is blind to that light and sees only the weight of responsibility. I've got to fix this problem. I've got to fix it. Not realizing that Jesus is there to do the fixing for him. What Philip failed to take into account was the one standing before him, Jesus was the Son of God. I find, I find comfort in that, knowing that Philip struggled with the very same things that I struggle with from time to time, thinking that I have to fix myself, thinking that I have to fix whatever situation is in front of me, feeling that it is upon me to do the work. But God has said, no, I have come to do the work in you, if you will just let me. Philip struggled to learn the lesson even then. It's the final week of Jesus' public ministry when we see Philip come to the surface again. The triumphal entry has just taken place. Shouts of Hosanna and fame beyond all possible thought has happened. Jesus has just ridden in as king. And everybody is waiting for him to take over, to free them from where they are at. But as we know, quickly, Jesus' fame fades within his people. It's then that a group of people come up to Philip. Maybe because he had a Greek name, maybe because these people knew it, but the Bible says in John 12, chapter, or in John chapter 12, verse 20, now there were certain Greeks among those who came to worship at the feasts. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and said to him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip came and told Andrew, and in turn, Andrew and Philip told Jesus. It's interesting to note, here we again have that that texture of people wanting to come and see Jesus. This time, it's a group of Greeks. Most likely, not anybody who's, you know, like, they're not the Hellenistic Greeks who had kind of accepted some Jewish things. These people were Greeks, the kind who weren't allowed into the temple. These would have been people who weren't allowed past that certain court to get in to really truly worship. But they weren't deterred by that. They've heard of Jesus and they want to know more. But this, this stigma, this wall that's been created keeps them from truly approaching Jesus. As Jesus is in the temple 
worshiping and ministering, they come out into the outer court where Philip is. Philip struggles, even now, to know exactly what to do. When it was one-on-one, Philip was great at bringing his friend Nathaniel, but here he's presented with a group of people and becomes intimidated or something and goes out to Andrew and goes to find help. Now, while Philip, I think, should have had the courage to take them right to Jesus, I think there's truth for us today in understanding that if we struggle to deal with people one-on-one, remember Jesus sent his disciples out two by two. Philip knew to go find help. Philip knew to go find help to lead these people to Jesus. I think this scene sets up something that is true of our day. I think walls have been set up, not real walls, but there are walls that keep people excluded from church. Whether they are true or not, the walls are there. And with us on the inside, it's not our responsibility to say, I don't know how to deal with people on the outside. It's our responsibility to say, with a friend, come meet Jesus. Obstacles are in the way, holding certain people back from the presence of God. And whether these are imagined or whether they are reality, it's not, us, it's not up to us to fix the problem or to fix them before they get in. It's up to us to go and say, hey, come see Jesus. There might be a group of people that identify with you specifically, like the Greeks identified with Philip because he had a similar name and was from a part of the country, the the area that had more Greek influence. It may be that an individual will only connect with you. This is our challenge here with Philip, is to say that it doesn't matter what we know or our position in our spiritual walk. If we've seen Jesus even caught a glimpse. We don't have to be trained in certain techniques of evangelism. We don't have to be trained spiritually. We don't have to be able to give the Bible study on all 28 fundamental beliefs. We don't have to be able to give even a simple Bible study. We just have to be able to say, I have seen Jesus. Come and see him with me. It's five days later, or thereabouts, when Philip comes on the scene again. The disciples are gathered in that upper room. The table spread out. They've eaten their meal with Jesus. Jesus, they're they're trying to wrap their mind around the the evening's events. The foot washing has taken place. And they're trying to understand why did Jesus take on the servant's role? The announcement of a betrayer has been made. How is it that one of us 
could possibly betray this amazing man. The prediction of a denial has happened. Peter has said, no, that will never happen, Lord. Thomas asks a question after Jesus describes in John chapter 14 the beautiful scene of heaven, saying, I am going to prepare a place. And if I go, I'll come back and receive you. And Jesus has told them that as they are sitting there. And Thomas is like, ask the question, well, what's the way? Then in verse verse 5, Jesus says to Thomas, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. And from now on, you know him and have seen him. Philip comes on the scene now. And pipes up with the question. He says, Lord, show us the Father, and it will be sufficient for us. The disciple who has brought others to the feet of Jesus is still confused about the true identity of Jesus. In fact, in this question... In this comment, Philip almost discards Jesus. It's kind of like when we go to a concert and have to sit through the opening acts to get to the people we really want to see. Now, I recently was at a concert where the opening act was every bit as good as the, as the closing act. Um, but it doesn't. do you see that? Do you see the feel of like, okay, Jesus, that's good, but just now... Get out of the way and show us the Father. Get out of the way and show us who God is, and then we will, we'll get it. Philip wants direct access to God. Just like Moses. He cries out, God, show me your glory. Philip wants a practical demonstration to put the confusion to rest. Just show us, confirm what we think we believe, take away our questions, take away our doubts. Jesus, just get out of the way and show us God. Philip had forgotten his own effective method of bringing people to Jesus. Come and see. Because here he's been three and a half years with God the Son. And he still is not truly seeing Jesus. Seeing is knowing. It's relationship. It's deep understanding. It's that revelation of who the person is when we truly begin to see Our challenge before us today is to see with the eyes of Jesus. 
our challenge is to be able to see what Jesus sees in us and know that he has come to save us. I can think of no better illustration to help drive this point home than something that happened a couple years ago. A couple years ago, the internet almost blew up. Relationships were almost destroyed. And even last night, as I talked about it with my wife, one of us was almost on the way to the couch because we disagreed. A country was divided. Our basic understanding of reality was challenged. Every kid's knowledge of what was found in the Crayola box was just blown up. All because of a dress. Okay. Survey time. If you think you are looking at a dress that is blue and black, please raise your hand high and proudly because you are right. (laughs) For those of you who think you are mistakenly looking at a dress that is white and gold, will you please raise your hands? If If you've never seen this, this dress, something about the picture, it actually looks to different people to be polar opposite dress. I am not even joking. If you see this as white and gold, I would go to my deathbed. To my deathbed, guaranteeing you as a fact that it is beautiful blue and dark, dark black lace. When this came out, um, when this picture was posted and it's pe- people's minds began to be blown, I, um, that week I had a uh, appointment with an uh, eye doctor. <laughs> it was just coincidental, although I thought it might be handy. I go into the eye doctor, and the physician assistant comes in and checks my vitals, makes sure I can handle the stress of, you know, being asked, is one or two better? One or two. You know, takes, my, takes all my vital signs so I can, you know, go through my tests. As I'm, after she leaves, and she's done nothing to my eyes, I get on my phone to kill some time and I scroll through the headlines and I see this dress pop up. I'm like, oh, thank God. They have changed it to white and gold so I can know what it looks like to the other people. So I I was like, oh, wow, that's really cool. That's really white. I mean, like wedding dress white. For those of you who see this as blue and black, wedding dress white is what my wife says it is. And gold like a crown is what the black lace is. And for a moment, I saw it as white and gold. And I was like, wow, they changed it. I scrolled down, I came back, it was blue and black again. Very, I, not a lot of people can see, and I tried last night to try and force myself to see it in the other thing. I could not see this dress any different than blue or black. The people chuckling, are you you the white and gold people who just think I'm nuts? (laughs) Okay. We may have, I may have just come in and invited the church. I'm sorry. Okay. This is blue and black. Deal with it. However, however, 
This is the truth of the gospel right here. This is the truth of what Jesus wants for us today. Come and see. Because I might see myself black and blue. I might look and say, there's no way that my life is not seen by everybody as black and blue. But praise God, through the eyes of Jesus, in a mystery that I can't even begin to explain rationally, I can look at this and say it's blue and black, but God can say no, no. When I look at you, I see you covered in the white righteousness of Jesus. Stripped in gold, trimmed in gold. Come see. Jesus is showing us the way. But we don't see through the eyes of God. His eyes see the righteousness of Jesus. His eyes see Jesus' righteousness covering me. And if Philip had grasped that, he would have been at a better spot. He would have understood that Jesus was there with his arms open. Praise God that we can, through Jesus, see something that is not there. His righteousness is there to cover you. His arms are open. My question today is, do you desire to follow Jesus? Do you desire to follow Jesus wherever it is that he goes? Knowing that at times the tunnel may close in and you may rely on yourself to fix it, but know that he's there to say, Hey, friend, I've got this for you. Come see Jesus. If you want to say today, I want to follow Jesus as a disciple. I want to turn my life to face Jesus. Or I want to keep my life turned to face Jesus. No matter what it is that I see. If that is your wish, if you've decided to follow Jesus today, I just ask that you raise your hand as we pray together. Lord, you've invited us to come and see you. You've invited us to witness what you have in store for us. But Lord, so often we find ourselves turning our back on that to focus on something that we think we can do. So Lord, as we leave here today, may we understand that your arms are wide open, that you are there for us. So Lord, today, the hands are raised. We know that through your eyes, we can see Jesus. And we pray that we will not turn our back on you because you stand with arms wide open. And for this, Lord, 
We thank you.